Well, we are continuing in our series that we've been doing since Easter called New Beginnings. Uh, We've been talking about new life. What does that actually look like? What does that experience actually um, entail? A couple of weeks ago, our friend Blaine Bartell was with me up here, and and he shared uh, his own story, a very powerful story of, of being in the ministry for a couple of decades and yet struggling very privately, very much alone, with something in his life that was actually stealing and killing and destroying and and how he was still going about ministry but yet um, was fighting this. He talked about uh, kind of new beginnings in his life the last several years and how, how he has come into a new place in his experience. And it was a very powerful statement, I believe, to all of us. I think it spoke to us on what God wants to do in every one of our lives. And for this new beginning, this new life to happen, they believe there are three things that really have to take place. First of all, we have to recognize that we need new life, that we need something to change in our life. There's some things in our life that, that are not the way they're supposed to be. They're not fully um, what, what God des- designs and has designed for us. And, and then we have to acknowledge that. We have to know that we need to change in those areas. And so, so if you're here this morning and you per- pretty much have things figured out, you've got your life is pretty well all together. You are, we give you permission to take a nap um, for the next few minutes and um, just don't snore loudly, okay? But for the rest of us that are in a process that know that, that there's still things needing to happen in our life, I hope that there's going to be something here that will make sense to us this morning. Uh, the second thing is that we have to open our life up to God. We have to say, God, come in here. He will not force himself on us. We have to say, I need you. I want you. This is the place that I need you in. And I believe we also need to open our lives up to each other. I believe there's something about the power of community, that we are in this together. There's uh, an openness that we have to have. We have to start peeling back the layers of our life and be honest and open with each other to really experience full life. Um, and new life. And I also believe that we have to recognize that this is a process, uh, that this is not something that just happens instantaneously in our life, but the fullness of the development, the, the, the depth of life, uh, of new life, it is something that takes time. As much as we would like it, there really is no pixie dust. Um, there's just nothing that just magically poofs us into that place. And so um, this idea of process is something that Janice and I have been about for the last 30 years in ministry and uh, helping people walk through um, the process of, of strengthening and discipleship and coming into that place of life. And when we started 30 years ago, um, the counseling ministry that we were in, um, a lot of people kind of questioned it. They, um, the whole idea of counseling was a little bit suspect. I can't tell you how many times we heard people say, well, you know, you just need to lead people to the Bible and to the altar. That, that is all that they need. If they, can, if they can grasp the scripture and go to the altar and be prayed for just right, particularly in this city, there was an influence that if you could just get prayed for just right, that the spirit would overwhelm your circumstances and immediately you would come into that fullness of, of new life. Um, now, there's, there's all kind of counseling out there. And yes, some of it is absolutely crazy, okay? And, uh, but the scripture is very clear about the importance of this idea of openness and collaboration that he wants to be part um, of our experience. Proverbs 11 says, where there is no guidance, the people fall. 
but in abundance of counselors, there's victory. Without consultation, plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. For by wise guidance, you will wage war. Or whatever it is that you may be struggling with and fighting in your life, by wise guidance, you will wage war. In an abundance of counselors, there is victory. Now, we recognize that when this was written, the idea of the modern-day picture of counseling going into an office and sitting there um, with the white noise machine in the back and, you know, um, quiet music on was not necessarily the only picture um, that was there. The word counsel simply is someone that's willing to stand with another in helping them grow and heal and develop a better and healthier and more fruitful life. So if this idea is a good thing for us, why is it that we hesitate? Why is it that we hesitate to open our lives up to each other and, and to live genuinely? I, probably several reasons, but I think the main reason is, is I'm not so sure how you're going to react to me. If I tell you exactly what my life is like and what I'm going through, I don't know what you're going to think about that. Uh, I may get the response that, well, gosh, good Good Christians or mature Christians shouldn't struggle with this. Um, and so we, we tend to hold back and we keep it quiet. Uh, Don, Donald Miller wrote an interesting perspective in one of his books on what some might, someone might observe if they were watching us humans uh, from another planet in this area. It says, he said, humans as a species are constantly and in every way comparing themselves to one another which given the brief nature of their existence seems an oddity and for that matter a waste nevertheless this is the driving influence behind every human's social development their emotional health and sense of joy and sadly their greatest tragedies it is as though something that helped them function and live well has gone missing and they are pining for that missing thing in all sorts of odd methods, none of which are working. The greater tragedy is that very few people understand they have the disease. This seems strange as well because it is obvious. To be sure, it is killing them and yet sustaining their social and economic systems. They are entirely beautiful people with a terrible problem. They have to wear a certain kind of clothes, drive a certain car, speak a certain way, live in a certain neighborhood, whatever, all so that they can be higher on an invisible hierarchy. It's an obsession. They are trying to feel right by comparing themselves to others. So what do we do? We tend to, we tend to wear masks, don't we? We know how to, we know how to present ourselves well on its service. We know kind of how to smile and greet one another and the kind of words that are more acceptable in, in the lobby. We know how to approach people um, at work. Um, and we, we kind of develop these certain mantras. All of us kind of uh, have one that maybe our family used is that, well, I don't want to burden anybody else. And we, we just handle stuff, you know, within the family. And again, we keep it to ourselves. Out of this fear of what other people think, it leads us to a sense of pride, a, a sense of self-sufficiency, which becomes deadly um, in, in our life. We continue doing the same behavior. We continue having the same thoughts and attitudes, expecting different results. And we all know what that, that is the definition of, right? Insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results. 
Um, pride, the scripture talks about when pride comes, then comes dishonor. But with the humble is wisdom. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before stumbling. A man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. The pride of man will be humbled and the loftiness of men will be abased. And the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. I want to take a few minutes to describe to you a framework on why it is that we believe so much in process around here. Why we believe that God is doing a work, a slow process work in our life of development and and maturity and wholeness that leads us to new and fresh life. The uh, we, we believe that this this is is honors and follows the story of Scripture. We also believe it's why God put us in community, why He encouraged us to lean towards one another and to find that unity of the Spirit. So we're going to start with Psalm 32 here as a framework for this. Psalm 32 says, "Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered." Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Selah just means stop and listen. Stop and pay attention. It's going to say that several times through here. Then I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let everyone who is godly pray to you while you may be found. Surely when the mighty waters rise, they will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Uh, Walter Brueggemann, who's an Old Testament scholar, put these, these, this whole um, section of Scripture in his own words uh, in a book um, called Prayers for the, by a Privileged People. I want to read it to you real quick. Listen to this. We begin the new week toward you, God, from whom no secret can be hid. We have had a night and a weekend and a lifetime of secrets. We have stored the usual list of secrets of acres of guilt unforgiven, of desires too rich to utter. Beyond that, we have a secret list of hurts from ancient days with parents and siblings, from assorted bullies at play school and in adult life. Some of us overly sensitive, all of us grown protective and capable of self-pity. Beyond that, we have a secret list of hopes, some selfish, some noble, hopes of new freedom and new reconciliation of new security and new recognition of doing well and being well we have so much to keep hidden and you god know you know because you made us and have watched us from the beginning you know because you see us waking and are sleeping you know because you love us right through beyond all of our covert capacity and we yearn to be known fully without reserve by you 
So we ask on this day, courage to match your love, honesty to match your generosity, self-awareness to speak into your awareness of us, that by the time the sun sets, we will have rent the curtain of our lives and let you into the center of it all, there to abide in holy forgiveness. We pray through your spirit of all truth that our truth, and I would add our open, honest, genuine selves, be open to your mercy, uh, and being open to your mercy may make us free. That was very um, insightful. Uh, Many years ago, a couple of guys that were studying human behavior uh, developed a framework that I think is very fitting with with Psalm 32 here. Now, I don't think they were meditating on Psalm 32 when they came up with this. I doubt that they even uh, knew about it necessarily. Um, It's a... um, uh, it's a system that they call the Jahari window. Some of you may have studied this in school. And it, it, it's, it gives us a, a picture of our own awareness of ourself and how much we let other people see. And if, so if you look at this slide, it looks at the correlation between uh, things that are known to self and not known and known to others and not known to others. Um, the first box here is our secret self. This is the part that I know full well. I know very well about me in this area, but there is no way I will let you in uh, because, again, I'm not sure how you're going to manage that and how you're going to handle it. Uh, the second area is kind of a scary area. This is the area that I'm not aware of, but you see very clearly. Matter of fact, many years ago, I've shared my testimony a little bit about just dealing, coming face to face a couple decades ago with the reality that I was truly a performance junkie. I was truly a workaholic. You know, I've had some people uh, in the recovery business say, well, workaholic, I just have a hard time picturing that in the the same framework as as other aholics. But I'm telling you from somebody that dealt with it, it was, it had control of me. Um, just as much as if I'd been snorting something um, every day. I could not stop it. And I remember when the Lord began to to talk to me about this and began to kind of reveal myself to myself here, one of the things that he challenged me to do was to go to a group of people and begin to tell them what was going on inside of me and what he was revealing um, to me. And it happened to be a group of counselors that I was training. It was about... 30 of them in a living room. We did kind of supervision for them. We had a big counseling ministry in a church, and a lot of them ran support groups for us and so forth. And and I remember telling my story, and there was this one couple. I love this couple. They are the, the most genuine, real people I've ever met. Um, they had both gone through AA for years, both recovering alcoholics, just, the, the, just no pretension whatsoever in them. The idea of depending on God daily was just part of their daily life. And they got this big smile on their face halfway through me sharing this. And uh, they just like were lit up. And here I am bleeding in front of these people, telling them my stuff, and kind of nervous because I'm their pastor and you know, I want them to think highly of me, and I'm thinking, God, they're going to think less of me, and so forth. They came up to me afterwards and said, we are so happy. We are so excited for your future. We have been praying for years for you in this area because we have seen this so clearly. Um, and we are so excited about your new journey. It was pretty humbling, let me say that, because they saw it. It made me very clear that they had seen this for years, and I was absolutely 
clueless. And so this is kind of a scarier. The third area is um, things that I'm not aware of and you're not aware of. These are, these are things that are totally unknown. This is why David prayed the prayer, Lord, search my heart. If there is something in me that is unlike you, that is not like you, talks about, in Scripture talks about if there's wicked ways in me, things where I'm off kilter, please reveal those things to me. I don't know about you, but I think some of us are a little hesitant praying that. So I'm not sure we really want to know. Um, but David so trusted God that he knew that if God revealed these things to him, that it would actually lead to health and wholeness and freedom and recovery and, and, and new life for him. And then the final area, we call it the healthy self. This is the part of us that I'm fully aware of, but I have opened my life up to others. I've also um, let you, invited you into that place. And what it suggested is that, is that the healthier we become, the, 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 the new life and new beginnings and the strength of life comes as that box becomes to overpower the other boxes, as that box grows in our life and these other areas diminish. Um, but it requires us to take the risk to be open. To go to God. He, again, he will not force this on you. Uh, he will not make this happen. I believe that God is standing in front of all of us saying, I'm ready for you. I'm ready for your, the real you, the genuine you. Um, are you going to reveal you to me? Are you going to, to step into relationship with me with who you really are? But we have to be the one to respond to that. I've been amazed over... 30 years of the opportunities that I've had to sit in front of an individual or a couple and, and be the person that they told something to for the very first time in their life. They had never, ever told a person uh, this in their life. You can, you can sense the, the nervousness that they have, wondering how, how I'm, I'm going to respond. And I've, I thought this week how many people that's been over 30 years. And I believe it's in the thousands now. Uh, I've, I've, I've seen that experience. And I cannot tell you. What I have witnessed over 30 years of what happens in that very first encounter, something happens beyond anything that I, I, I could imagine. I have seen relief. I have seen things just kind of fall off of people. I've seen a sense of freedom happen in the very first encounter. We talk about communion being this heaven and earth experience where um, we come and we literally encounter um, the, the very nature of God. I believe these moments of, and it has nothing to do with me, I can guarantee you, because most of the time I have not even said anything yet, which actually kind of frustrates me that people get so much freedom and I haven't even said any of my wisdom and, <laughs> and, and guidance for them. But there's something about that encounter. It truly could be with anybody that was safe, that was genuine, that was willing to listen, that was humble enough to realize their own brokenness and not all of a sudden become, you know, haughty and proud and kind of try to, try to um, come over that person somehow. But something happens in those moments that are amazing. I believe the listener, whoever that is, and some of you have been this for people, uh, I believe the listener becomes the incarnational presence of God. That God comes into that life at that moment, and it's in that communion, it's in that relationship that healing happens, that freedom happens, that, that we are restored. Now, 
in most cases, it's, it's the beginning. It's not everything in our life. Uh, we, we have to then begin to walk through a process of maturity and, and growth. Uh, but something happens in those moments uh, that I've never seen in any other setting. The, the very things that people fear, they fear rejection, um, they fear judgment, they feel, fear embarrassment, they fear feeling weak. They ended up with the opposite, uh, feeling acceptance, feeling some freedom, freedoms, feeling some love, feeling some, some hope for the future. And it's what God wants for all of us in our community. Uh, it doesn't have to be a professional counselor in an office. It might be a friend that, that you trust in. It might be somebody that's hundreds of miles away um, on the phone. Uh, it might be a family member. It, there's all kinds of opportunities for this, but something happens in, in these moments. The New Testament confirms this, James 5, 16. You've heard us talk about this before. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Don't even say confess them to God here. Confess them to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. There's a healing that happens in these moments. But again, we have to take the risk um, to open our lives up in that way. Now, I've talked about Psalm 32, James 5. Both of these talk about sin. So the question might come up is, well, are you saying that we only really need to do this when we sin? My response would be, well, yes. Um, but if we're going to try to separate the sins from the non- sinners from the non-sinners in here, Good luck with that one. Um, scripture is very clear. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. First John 1 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I see sin as anything that we put in the center of our life other than God. And there's all kinds of things out there that could could be that believe it's an inappropriate response to a real or legitimate need we all have legitimate needs as humans for love and acceptance and feeling valuable and for safety and protection those are all normal reasonable um, needs that we have god has a certain path for those to get met and i guarantee you for every one of those needs uh, um, needs that needs to be met um, satan has a counterfeit for every single one of them. Actually, he's got a half a dozen for every one of them um, that, that would say, this is what really will meet your need. This will really help you feel accepted. This will, will reduce anxiety or fear or depression in your life. So as an example, if I have a, a need for love and security and to, to feel special and, and God has a way for me to get that met in healthy friendships or um, as a person that's been married, um, he has a, those pathways for, uh, for those needs to get met. But if I choose to go outside of my marriage and get those needs met there, obviously that is sin. Um, if I try to find security in my life by hoarding things or overworking, that is sin. Again, a reasonable need, but I've chosen a counterfeit. If I try to find acceptance by in all of my relationships, I'm just this person that just tries to make everybody happy all the time. I don't really, I'm really never honest with them. I'm really never genuine and real. Um, that becomes sin. These are the kind of things that shrink us, that steal life for us. The, 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 the full light, the bulb, the, the wattage that God wants you to be in the world, this diminishes those things. Uh, and it ki- kills and steals and destroys. 
Another reason I believe that we need each other and that we need um, this kind of, of support in our life is because we live in a world um, where a lot of God's people hurt a lot of other, other of God's people. We live in a world of sin where people are fragile and they're broken. And out of their brokenness, they hurt and disappoint each other. I've seen many people that spend years circling in their mind, dealing with past hurts and resentments and, and fears and bitterness. And, and it steals life from them um, constantly. God, again, God wants us to find a place of freedom. As we mentioned, a lot of us stay away from this because we don't want to appear weak. We stay away from just really opening ourselves up and recognizing and saying, yes, this is a weak spot in my life. A couple of weeks ago, um, we were talking uh, with Blaine and we talked just briefly about Paul's life. This amazing apostle that was building the church and leading the church and, and all of a sudden, yeah, in the midst of him kind of trying to defend himself in his apostleship, um, he, he gets into this discussion about this struggle that he's having, this thorn in the flesh. And we hear him say some of the most odd words that I think we've ever heard in Scripture um, from this apostle of apostles, this, strength, this, this great leader. And, and he starts talking about this struggle. And I do believe that there's a reason we don't know what it is. Now, theologians have, have debated this for years on, well, did he have an eyesight problem? Did he have a physical issue? Did he have a problem in a relationship? What was it? I think a couple reasons why it was never revealed to us. First of all, um, if, if we knew exactly what Paul was dealing with and we weren't dealing with that, we'd kind of have some pride. We'd go, well, at least I don't have that thing Paul's got, you know. Um, can't believe what he struggled with. Um, but I also think that because it was left open, we all can put our stuff in the middle of that. We all can put our brokenness, our messiness um, in the middle of that. And he goes on in 2 Corinthians 12 to say, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take this away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak... Then I am strong. I don't know about you, but that was not the way I was trained to be strong. Um, is to boast in my weaknesses, just to acknowledge those, those places in my life. Certainly in America, our rugged individualism, pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps, don't need anybody. I've got this. Thank you. I've got this handled. Um, is not in line with this. So, so what do we do with this? What, what do we... Um, what kind of response do we have with what Paul is saying here? And I know that this is almost a heretical statement in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, but I believe God allows weaknesses in our life so that we stay dependent on him. He knew that he did not design us to be independent creatures. And he knew our tendency towards self-sufficiency. And so if somehow we could kind of get all this managed, we would just forget he was even around. And so I believe he allows each and every one of us, and all of us have different ones, um, all of our weak spots, I call them spiritual Achilles heel. We all have that place that we limp a little bit in. But I believe when we are honest with ourselves, 
and with others, that becomes the place of strength. It's only that place that I say, wake up every morning going, God, this is, I cannot fix this. I cannot put this in order, but you can. I am asking you to come into this place in my life. I think the healthiest thing we could do when we get out of bed in the morning is say, God, I can't in this area, but you can. I can't, but I know you can, and I'm going to release control of my life into your hands today. Help me do that. Help me not try to manage this myself. I believe that is the greatest place of strength that we could ever be in. But it's, it's, it's an odd statement. It's counterintuitive to how we've been, how we've been trained. I had a, uh, an individual I was dealing with, and by the way, if I ever give examples um, of people that I've worked with, um, I kind of say this every time, just know they've given me permission to share this, and that you could never figure out who this is, okay? So, so don't try. Uh, this person actually lives in another state, uh, came to me, and uh, he's a very well-known physician in his, his area. As a matter of fact, he was kind of a phenom. He was... Uh, had this unique ability. They, call, they kind of called him uh, machine-like. He was kind of like he was a robot when he did uh, what he did in medicine. And uh, he had a family, had a wife and children, and, uh, but he was just, people were absolutely in awe of him. And a very confident guy, very self-confident. He's usually on the board of the hospital and everything. Um, but he had a very secret part of his life. He had secret pl- places. He had blind spots. Um, his secret life was that he had, um, he had an intoxication with the affections of women. And you can only imagine in that kind of a setting, being a physician in that setting, you can only imagine the opportunities that he had um, for, for women to be attracted to him. And he had lots of different things going on. He worked really hard to keep it all under wraps, to keep it all um, um, very secret. Now, it all came out, and uh, I, I find that, uh, again, by God's grace, it always does, and we'll talk about that in a second. Um, but he, always, he also had some blind spots. He had some areas in his life that other people saw, but he wouldn't ever let anybody close enough um, to be able to talk to him about that. And people kept him in so, in so much in awe uh, that they were even afraid to talk to him about it. Um, the main one is he drank too much. It was at, when I heard the story, it was amazing how he pulled all this off. He knew exactly how much he could drink. He would stop off at a club after work, and, and his wife talked about story after story after story of how she had no idea how he even made it home. Never, want, got, never got one DUI, never got picked up by anybody, was able to just keep all of his life totally together, um, managing uh, his life. But um, as it always does with all of our stuff, we do get found out. It is by the grace of God because he's a good father. He chastens, he disciplines his kids. He will let us fall down and go boom. He will let us run into a wall because he loves us. And so um, people, even the smartest of people, this guy's IQ is off the charts, but he got very stupid um, in how he was texting and emailing and so forth. His wife found out. And it was a very dramatic finding out. Uh, he came home from work one day, and she, she greeted him at the door of their beautiful home with a shotgun in her hand. Very dramatic. Um, she actually shot the shotgun through the wall of their house. Um, 
I don't recommend this. Um, if, if, if you're the one that finds out something, I don't recommend this because it actually added quite a little um, messiness to their life. Um, but uh, he told me later, months later, he said, he said, that image of my little wife, little petite wife holding a, uh, a shotgun and shooting it through the wall has actually really helped me. Um, it is, that has been seared in my brain and, and that is actually a good reminder to me. That's why I said pain is a really, God uses pain in our life uh, for our good if we allow him. And so that image kept him straight going forward um, in, in his life. But he, he was exposed but something began to happen. He was a believer. He, he, he loved God. But he had no idea how he was managing and what was really going on. He began to unveil this incredible story of how he kind of kept everybody from knowing each other and everybody at bay. He began to realize what it was that he was really looking for there. Um, he, he allowed people to get close enough and begin to, um, begin to talk to him about even his, his drinking and and uh, the excess of that. Uh, he began to recognize that this part of his personality that was so honored by so many people, this ability to be like a machine, was actually, you know, in, in most of our lives, our strengths, our greatest strength to its extreme is our weakness. And so this very thing that made him this amazing physician actually kept him away from any dealing with any kind of real, honest emotion, dealing with any issues in his life. He, he, we went back and looked at his history and saw, the way that he was raised and the, the, uh, they just didn't deal with real issues and, and he just kept everybody at bay. He kept his wife at bay, he kept his friends at bay, he kept colleagues at bay and he just, any difficulty that happened, he just went inward and, and went to try to manage these things. Now years later, he is, he's an amazing guy. He has recovered. They have, they have been fully restored. And he actually now has the ability, he still does, does what he does, um, one of the strongest um, in, in his field. But he's also found that place of, of health and wholeness in his life. He's, he's invited people into his life. He's built relationships. He, he shares his testimony with others on, 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 what, on what has happened. And he has found new beginning. He has found new life. Now, sometimes when we share a dramatic story like this, um, we, uh, we think, uh, gosh, I've not done anything like that. Um, and we sometimes miss what God is wanting to say to us. I want to suggest to you all that we all have these weak spots. We all are, we all are susceptible to just about anything. And our greatest strength is to be able to own that, to be able to acknowledge that, to be able to invite God into those places. I want you to know that we believe in this enough around here, that we have several different things in place that can help each one of us take these steps. Some of you aren't even aware of some of these resources. We have a, a church counseling ministry here that is separate from Janice's and my private practice in, in the community. This is something that was established in our church here. We have several professionals here that volunteer their, their time to the church. We see 50 to 60 people a week in this ministry. This is something that you all are about and support and, and provide even to the community. Uh, and it's also for you. These are safe people. Um, they, they are 
confidential people. We, we open our private practice building to the church counseling ministries so people are actually able to go to a private setting for this. And so, because we know that if people want to open their lives up, they don't want to open it up to the whole church at once. Um, I don't even know the, the peop- all the people that are being seen there. We have people that receive the phone call that fit, fit um, you with the right kind of person. One of the things that this is available for you, um, every, every service after, after, uh, afterwards, we have people standing over here at the cross. Um, we're confident in them. They are, um, they're safe people. They're confidential people. And sometimes it's just taking the beginning of, I'm dealing with something here. Um, I, I'm struggling. You can come to any of us after service. And, and we can help you take the step. We believe that all of this is a process, a building block process. But we have to take the step. We have to be the one to open our lives up. We see this happening in some of our life groups and some of our men's groups and women's groups. We see these collaborations that begin to happen. I believe that God has a vision for the church. I believe that he wants the church to be the most powerful force on the planet. But I think... He is limited because of our lack of openness. And so most of our church fellowships, instead of the power of, you know, we had 1,200 or so people at Easter, instead of the power of however many people in this room at a time and the next, in the last service and last night, instead of the power of the cumulative benefit of all of us, our church is the power of, of one and one and one and one and one because we come in we sit down smile at each other i don't want you to know me and oftentimes i don't really want to know you um and we 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 protect we close off now i'm not saying go just tell everybody all your stuff all the time okay as a matter of fact don't don't do that um need to be 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 appropriate about this take the right risk but it but it is a risk i believe god as we begin to unveil our hearts to each other as we begin to be open with you all that's why that's why ed and i and all of us are going to tell you our stuff we're going to be open with you Uh, we are not in somehow some lofty position where we've got it all figured out the only strength that we have in our life is because we are aware of our weaknesses and we have invited god into those places and that's not just a historical thing that's a daily thing i know if i don't invite god in today and then tomorrow morning and the next morning i will be more of a mess than I am today, um, tomorrow. It's because of that journey. And if we all can get to a place where we can just be honest with each other in that, be open and stand with each other and encourage each other in that, think what could happen. And our think if you had the power of all of these lives interacting and take the strengths here and that overcome kind of the weaknesses over here and those people stand together and they're holding each other's arms up. Just think what could happen uh, in a church. Don't be afraid of each other. The very source that God has designed for your freedom is sitting around you. Don't don't be afraid of each other. Um, But you have to take the first step. God, again, did not chase after the prodigal son. The father didn't chase after him. Had to let him come back. Father, I believe, is sitting, waiting in front of you and saying, I'm ready. 
I'm ready for the real you. Now he knows the real you, but he's not, he won't go in and, and force it, uh, force it open. Um, he's saying, I'm ready. And I've got things for you that you can, um, you can't even imagine the good place that I have for you, but we have to take the first step.